Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. Welcome to you today. Today we're going to look at Lesson 12 of our Passover Passion Volume 2 series. And the title that we are going to look at today is Proof. All week in these special messages, we have discussed many elements of Passover and Passion Week or Holy Week and the commemorations for that. We've looked at the depths of what this week means today and what it meant then. From Jesus' ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday all the way through his miraculous resurrection, there is so much depth and beauty to even understand about the ocean of love, wisdom, and blessings that God the Father and God the Son have given us. As we begin to draw to a close in these final episodes of Volume 2, let's carry forward, especially to understand all of this week's events and how they now climax in the resurrection and the depth of understanding it brings to sum up this beautiful gift of God's grace for us. As to the resurrection on the first day of the week, Sunday on our calendars, there's so many different points to bring out. And at the time of this recording, it is Resurrection Sunday. I want to share a few things that are all worthy of their own study. The resurrection of Jesus forms a pattern for us, according to Romans chapter 6. The death, burial, and resurrection bring us new life. The old man dies, the new man lives in newness of life. So it forms a pattern for us. It also fulfills the feast of first fruits. There was Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. And every one of those is important in the understanding of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I have covered these in the Feasts of the Lord's study. And I've done two lessons in that study, I believe, on, re- on the resurrection alone. But the Feast of First Fruits is very important to understand in reference to the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord, particularly his resurrection. I really encourage you to look at some of these lessons that I'm going to mention today in prior studies, because it's going to be very helpful for you to understand today and the next episode that we're going to do. There is resurrection power in my resurrection power roll that stone away episode that I've done earlier in an earlier Holy Week, Passion Week. We looked at the stone being rolled away. We looked at the power of the resurrection and the stone being rolled away and why it had to be rolled away. These are just to name a few of the various depths that we could go down and study, and they're worthy of individual study because these things provide greater understanding for us in regard to the resurrection. Today, I want us to look at an additional point tying with the last episode we did and carrying us forward to the next episode that we will do. In the last episode, we talked about the grain that had to die and go into the ground in order to germinate and spread forward into new life and into new areas. And we looked at the results of that as Jesus 
talked about that in relation to his death. So we're going to carry forward from that lesson a little bit in today. We also see the resurrection being proof of acceptance, providing assurance of salvation and other things that we're going to delve into in the next episode. Then in final lessons, we want to look at the premise for the future, the resulting peace, and the promise of harvest. So that's where we're going in the last episodes. So first, we want to pick up from the last lesson with a few points. John chapter 12, verse 24, spoke about the grain of wheat that had to go. It was an absolute necessity that it die and go into the ground in order to germinate, sprouting and coming to life and then spreading out. Jesus' mission during his earthly life, he stated, was to the Jew first. Not to the Jew only, but to the Jew first. And that he had come to die for the whole world. So it's going to spread to the whole world. That was even the promise given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And so we looked in that lesson at specifics about why these were so and how it happened and is still happening. We ended that lesson discussing some of these results of this wheat or this grain that died, so to speak, meaning Jesus. We saw the spreading in the remaining books of the Bible. We saw how it spread all in Acts and the epistles. And then we even looked at the wrap-up. At the end in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 19, so much so that by that time, it will be a multitude that cannot even be numbered. Oh yes, Jesus' crown of thorns did in fact flourish. It has spread to the whole world. Revelation 5 verse 8 through 10 even tells us there's a cry that will be ushered in that day, a song of the redeemed. And we will all cry out and applaud him and laud him and praise him because he is worthy, because he has redeemed us out of every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Jesus came to save all, all over the world, all the whosoever wills, all who will call upon him. The Bible even indicates to us some things that Jesus has accomplished after he died and before he arose from the dead in that window of that weekend at some point then or shortly thereafter, shortly after he arose from the dead. There is debate about several of these things. I just want to point them out. We're not going to debate them as far as when they happened or perhaps even how they happened. I would encourage you to do your own study. Be a Berean and study the scriptures to show yourself approved. But in essence, I count it like this. It looks like to me, Jesus might have been a very busy dead man, at least for a portion of that time. Or he was just raised and still went straight to work with accomplishing even more things. At some point, he preached to imprisoned spirits, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. And these are listed as spirits in prison. And in the context, it is talking about the days of Noah. So it hearkens us back to the days of Noah, the 
evils that were being accomplished there. I would encourage you to read that in Genesis chapter 6. And you can see that these are possibly evil spirits that sinned there. It does appear that that's what the scripture taught. And these spirits were put in prison. There are spirits in prison now, and Jesus has gone to them, preached to them, perhaps of his authority, perhaps of his victory. I do not know. He didn't preach to them as if they could be saved. So it wasn't that kind of preaching. I believe it was more of a victorious declaration to these imprisoned spirits. He preached to departed souls, according to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6. Here, I believe it's speaking of him actually preaching the gospel in the sense that he was confirming to those who were godly saints from the Old Testament about their faith that he was the Messiah that they were believing in. Because in the Old Testament, there were just men, there were godly men, there were righteous men. The scriptures tell us that, and women. And their faith in the Lord was forward to the coming Messiah, to the Messiah that was being promised to come to people also that were prior to their death. Because in Hebrews 9, 27, it tells us that after death, there's judgment. We only die one time, and then there is immediate judgment. Either you are taken to be with the Lord, and the judgment of the believer is what you will look forward to, or you are taken to hell, and you will have the judgment, the great white throne judgment, to know is up ahead for you. After death, there is the judgment. So you can't preach to someone that's already dead in the sense of getting them saved after death. That decision must be made prior to death. There is no such thing as praying for dead people in the sense that they can then change their destiny and become saved. Cannot happen. That decision has to be made prior to them dying. So it's not that kind of preaching. But I personally believe it's more of him going to Abraham's bosom, which is where they were being held. And we know that to be true because of Luke 16. And if you'll remember, Jesus even guaranteed to the thief that believed in him, today you will be with me in paradise. Now this word for paradise, in his time until after he rose from the dead, would have been most likely Abraham's bosom that he referred to in Luke chapter 16. I want us to read this portion of scripture in Luke chapter 16. Beginning in verse 19 of Luke 16, it says this, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, 
he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. So he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. So here this tells us quite a bit about where the Old Testament saints were, as well as where the evil people were, those who would not repent, those who did not believe in God, those who were wicked and evil. It tells us about the gulf between them. It tells us that one cannot pass from one to the other, not, after, not at that time. Their destiny is secured and settled, and there's no hope for those who are in torment in their flames to ever get out of that torment. Period. This teaches us a lot. It also shows us that this is an account of a real beggar and a real rich man. He says there was a certain rich man and a certain beggar named Lazarus. This is not a parable or a made-up story. This is a real account. Notice Abraham is here, and Abraham is very much alive. And this beggar who believed in God is now with Abraham. Jesus was talking about being with the thief in paradise. So the Old Testament saints were there. Jesus said that God is the God of the living, not the dead. In Abraham's bosom, they were very much alive and they were waiting. They were in holding place there, waiting till Jesus' death because his death pays for the sin of all the world for all time. Their faith in the Old Testament was to believe in the promise that would come. So I do believe it was important for Jesus to go to Abraham's bosom, and I believe this is what it's referring to here. Now there's debate over when Abraham's bosom has been emptied, perhaps. It appears to me that it might be before the author of Hebrews writes these words in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, I want to read verses 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, 
and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So here we see a couple of places where I personally believe that the Old Testament saints are included in this. And by the time Hebrews is written, it's speaking of them already being there. Talks about the just men made perfect. In the Old Testament, many of them were called just men or just people, just men. And we know, according to the New Testament, that we are made perfect in Christ. So at some point in time, it appears, after Jesus' resurrection and before Hebrews 12 is written, that they may have been then taken in their resurrection to heaven. There's debate over that. All we know is that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection for all believers he was the very first, so it could not have been prior to his resurrection. He also recovered the keys. He recovered the keys to death, hell, and the grave, representing dominion and authority over all. There was a delegated authority, we could call it, that was lost in the Garden of Eden that God had given to Adam and Eve. And that fell under perhaps the dominion of the devil for a season. But at Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, especially the resurrection, I believe, at some point, either right after he arose, perhaps before he even showed himself to Mary Magdalene or any of the others, that he recovered those keys and all authority now does rest with him because keys represent authority. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, he said, I'm the one who lived and died, and now I'm alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it tells us that all authority has now been given to him. He holds it. I want us to next look at Psalm chapter 68, and I want to read beginning in verse 18, because this is speaking of Jesus. You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation, Selah. Our God is the God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. So Jesus has authority even over the escapes from death, as the psalmist mentions here. All authority has now been given to him. This passage also tells us that he ascended and received gifts for men. And we know that to be true as well in Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. It says this, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And then he begins to describe the gifts that 
Christ has given to the church, beginning in verse 11, and the reason for those. So all of these things could have happened prior to his resurrection and appearance to Mary Magdalene. Definitely, it appears from some of these readings prior to his ascension in Acts chapter 1 for sure. And at some point within that window of time, before Hebrews was written, in fulfillment of some of these scriptures, the Old Testament saints then would have been taken to heaven. Some debate that. Some believe that they may not be resurrected until the very end. But at least their souls and their spirits now are with the Lord. The body, yes, the body may be resurrected at a later time. But even in Acts chapter 1, we see where there was a great cloud of witnesses from Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews 11. Maybe this cloud that surrounded the Lord might have been at least their souls and spirits joining him as well. We do not know. There are some of these things that are difficult to understand. There are debates about them. I encourage you again, be a Berean. Study the Word. If you're interested in this, study what the Word says. Don't just listen to me or to anyone else. Go to the Scriptures and let the Holy Spirit show you what the meaning of those are. But all of these do represent results, the accomplishments from that grain, that kernel that died, was buried, and now has been raised to life forevermore. And his message and the truth of that has spread and is continuing to spread, granting life to all who will believe. Jesus is the proof. Death, burial, and resurrection prove that that grain of wheat is accomplishing great things now, that it has died, germinated, and is spreading granting life to all who will believe. We want to look at one other element of proof, and it being in the sense of Jesus' perfect sacrifice that God accepted. And we'll cover that in the very next episode. To God be the glory. God bless you, and thank you for tuning in. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. In Jesus' name, amen.